heaven? No. It's Iowa. Extra, extra, read all about it. Southern Bell nearly saves man from Mormon cult using her vagina. Who told you that? Joyce McKinney, straight from the horse's mouth to your ears. I don't think she's the most reliable source. You might want to take everything she says with an IV of salt. If she's so untrustworthy, tell me this, Eric. Can you put a marshmallow in a parking meter? Ooh, don't know what to say about that. I rust my case. It's tabloid on the pod of dreams. Once upon a time, there was a little princess, the most beautiful little princess in all the land. Kinky sex, religion, a beauty queen, Mormon missionaries, kidnap at gunpoint. There was something in that story for everyone. It was a perfect tabloid story. When I met my Kirk, it was like in the movies, when Juliet looks at Romeo and it's pew. She had fallen in love with him and become obsessed by him. The next thing I know, he vanished into thin air. I found him in England. The Mormons had him. Joyce set up this plan. I knew there was only one way to get Kirk out of Mormonism, and that was to make love with him. Kirk and I went to this cottage. We made love for three days. It was like a honeymoon. <laughs> this bizarre story began here last Wednesday. A young Mormon missionary was kidnapped, driven to a house, blindfolded, and his legs shackled. I couldn't believe it. It was just like shock. It was in all the papers. Were you surprised to be put in prison? I really didn't feel I'd done anything wrong. Scenario number one, big gun, chloroform, tied up, sexual impropriety. Second version is Joyce's story. The Mormons get him, brainwash him, and all of a sudden he's claiming rape. A guy that wants to have sex or he doesn't. That's like putting a marshmallow in a parking meter. The British Isles was on fire with the Joyce McKinney story. I was a celebrity. She was having the time of her life. Disguises and wigs. Worms crawl out of the woodwork when you become famous. They had a tip. 38, 24, 36. Your fantasy is her speciality. The press went crazy. They said I was a whore. Oh my heck, as they say in Utah. She went barking mad. <laughs> she disappeared a day later. It's not a porno story like these crazy newspapers have tried to make. It's a love story. You know, you can tell a lie long enough till you believe it. All right, Eric. So we've got a lot going on with this documentary. We've got how media portrays stories, what rights people should have to control their own narratives in the media, what is truth, religious indoctrination, and a whole lot of other really fun stuff happening in this documentary. With that in mind, Eric, how crazy do you think Joyce McKinney is? She's pretty cuckoo. Uh, super bonkers. So uh, maybe go through a little bit and explain, because I don't know. I didn't know this story before I saw this documentary. Uh, didn't know who Joyce McKinney was or anything. Why don't you just kind of walk through just the, the main beats of this of this documentary? Because it's like it's like one bonkers thing after another. It is. So, I mean, and just to put my cards on the table, I'm a big fan of Errol Morris, the director of this movie. Um, of the stuff of his I've seen, I think this movie is the most accessible. So in the meager platform we have and in the context of this conversation, if I can get anybody slightly on the Errol Morris train, I thought this might be the movie to do it because it is such a 
insane story uh, that is, it's a lot of things, but it's not boring. So Joyce McKinney was apparently uh, like Miss Wyoming or some sort of, you know, pageant woman from North Carolina who, depending on whose version you ask, she's a beauty queen, beauty beauty queen, that's a better term for it, beauty queen. Depending on whose version uh, you decide you want to take, either fell in love with a Mormon who was unfortunately, you know, forced to stay Mormon despite the fact that he loved her and wanted to be with her, or she just got obsessed with a semi-random dude and kidnapped him. But what did happen was she got, I mean, she, (laughs) the most important thing is that that is objectively true is that she paid a pilot and a bodyguard and some guy who was kind of her, cuckold dude i don't even know what his real story is um he, he, he wasn't interviewed right he was the guy that never he had died he had died so the guy th- there's oh, right, two guys right. that That's are like right. that this the one that went with her to england he passed away in like 2003 or four anyway she ha- has a bunch of money which w- we don't know how she gets money at the point in the story but she she goes to england where this mormon is because she likes this mormon guy well it was her, she said it was her fiance Right, that they were engaged. Yeah, she claims they promised to get married, that they were in love with each other. There's reasons to think that might not be true, but she thinks she was really into this guy, and then he, to her words, he just vanished. But what had happened, he was doing his mission, which is a thing Mormons do, and I think they turn 19. They have to go to some other country and spread the word of Joseph Smith and Jesus Christ and do all that stuff. Yeah, a religious England. mission. That Mormons aren't the yeah. only ones that do that, but yeah. No, but it's it's but it's particular. Like every man has to do it when they're 19 if you're a Mormon. Is that right? Okay. Yes, all it's right. literally required. It's a we can talk, thing. We can talk about Mormonism. We're we're going to have to Holy talk balls. some yeah, about right. religion yeah, this, at some point. On, we're going to get there. There's story. a lot going on. Anyway, she she commissions a guy to fly her uh, around and to help her uh, potentially kidnapped. She doesn't lead with the kidnapping, but then she gets a guy to kidnap the man that she's in love with and claims it's her fiance, who's in a cult. She whisks well, him away. She said he comes with her, right? She well, didn't, she didn't well, admit she kidnapped him. Well, from her version, right? Well, this is why this is, and this is what I love about Aaron Moore's documentaries. I mean, the truth is an ephemeral, fickle thing. So her version is she went there. Talked to him. He willingly came with her to some cottage in a quaint little part of England called uh, Devon. And they just and boned they, for like a week. They boned uh, seven times. They, they said the number apparently seven times. She made them all his favorite food. They had a really romantic. She kept referring to it as a honeymoon. Uh, and he's like, great. I love you. This is awesome. I'm happy to be with you. And But people were worried and claimed that he was kidnapped. And everybody in the Mormon church said he was kidnapped. And his family was really worried about it. And him. raped. So Kidnapped and raped. Well, the rape stuff. I'm, I'm again. Well, so this is where we should just, I, you know, it scratches on. We're just. This is Joyce's version. The rape comes later because she claims he had sex with her willingly, uh, that it was consensual, and they boned, and they were very happy throughout this weekend. And he said, "I love you, and I want to be with you." But everybody's panicking, worried, like they're claiming I, you know, you kidnapped me, and people are on a manhunt and they're looking for you, and this is, you know. A really big problem so let me go tell everybody i'm okay i'll see you again love you sweetheart see you later um and then he goes away and never comes back and the version that that gets told is the rape version that he was taken against his will that he was raped um forced to have sex against his will yeah because he gets away he gets away 
And then yeah. he goes to the police and she's arrested and charged with kidnapping. And and he says that she raped him over the course of whatever the time that they were at this cottage. Yeah, three days, I think. It was like a Friday through Sunday or something like that. And she like says that. that's like putting a marshmallow in a parking meter. Well, that that's you know, that, that's one of her defenses. Like, how could she rape him? Because he clearly got well, she, him, a woman. A woman can't rape a man in her mind. Is, is And when we say rape, like, and, and this part is also agree. He was... He was the first time they did it, at least. He was tied down. And the, spread what, eagle, so, right? The one guy talks I love the guy said spread eagle over and over again. He loved that phrase, yeah. and it was super funny. Uh, but he's, he's spread eagle, and she took off his magical Mormon underwear, and this is another religious we, thing. The this, Mormon underwear. We got to talk about that at some point, too. That, oh, uh, yeah. Well, we're going to get into all oh the Mormon God. stuff because this documentary has an ex-Mormon on it named uh, – Troy Williams. He's a gay man, former member of the church, and a media personality journalist. I don't know what his official profession is, but he's on there to really validate a lot of the stuff which you might not believe about Mormons and say that this is literally true, like this actually happens. I mean, he talked about how Mormons do get a special underwear. It's part of, you know, uh, it's not confirmation, but some of their upbringing in the church, and it's meant to ward off Satan, and this is ingrained in them at a very young age. He talked about there are people who have left the Mormon church and they still wear that underwear because there's a part of their brain. It's like, well, maybe if I take this off, it's going to be really problematic. I got to keep it on because when he takes it off, according to both Joyce and the guy who was raped or not, he started like reading out a bunch of prayers in fear and horror. Uh, So this is the thing he might've done even if he did willingly, but her justification for tying him up was that if he's tied down, he can let go and actually have sex and it won't be his fault because he's tied down. So he can really let go of all of his really intense ingrained Mormon hangups about sex. I mean, there's, there's loads. Right. Um, and so, okay. So just to speed it up a bit. So there's sure. this, this section where she kidnaps this guy, fiance, uh, you know, rape consensual. There's this debate. She gets arrested and sent to prison, right? She actually went to prison in, in England. Jail. She gets, yeah, she's jail. in jail. She manages to apparently at some point smuggle a letter out of her vagina yeah, and her butt and gets up somebody to mail that to the press in like the US or in the UK or and whatever. And then it becomes try. a big story, like a big a news story. Massive media story. And this and is she's, late 70s, right? Like yeah, 77, 77, 78. Okay, yep, right. 77, 78. Yep, late 70s. And becomes a big, big thing. She eventually gets let out on bail and she's basically like a rock star for a while. Uh, she's seeing Keith Moon and going to movie premieres and doing all sorts of extravagant stuff. And then in the midst of all this, she's on bail, right? She hasn't had a trial. She hasn't been like officially convicted or whatever they do in the UK, whatever the UK version of uh, conviction is. And she sneaks away. She manages to get into a, a, an airplane by pretending to be a deaf mute person, getting into Canada, do, pulling an Argo, basically. Uh, go, getting into Canada, and then she gets from Canada into the U.S., where at that point she's going to, you know, calls and sells her story rights to one of these sleazy, the Daily Mirror is one of them. There's a couple of sleazy tabloids in the U.K. that, uh, you know, and this is really where the story is, is a huge deal, apparently. She tells her version. Meanwhile, there's another sleazy journalist, you know, organization that's digging up stuff about her, and they find out that she's got this very illicit past as a sex worker who would do BDSM stuff, naked shoots, 
and apparently oral sex. Although we don't have any well, evidence that she ever went further than that. Right, because there's this this in the beginning of the documentary. There's all these questions about like, how did she pay for this? How did she get this money? Right. And it's never really clear. She's and then, a so they, they hide that, that part of the story, right? They hide that part of the story until you, until after she becomes a big deal, and then then these news outlets start uncovering. Well, she, maybe she made all this money from sex work, and and that's kind of like the second layer to the story is not only does she in this you know Mormon church what 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 is it, the term they called her. The Manacle Mormon, is that something like that? The, the was man it? was the guy. Kirk is that man's name. Oh, he's, he's the, the Manacle he's Mormon, the manacle. right? Yeah, he's, his that arms the, are manacled, and right. he's the Mormon. That was the story, the main, you know, the first news story. But then it's this tabloidy piece where it's like, let's dig up dirt on her and find out her past and and start releasing stuff that is doesn't make her look very good. And right. that's kind of, I, I, I felt like that was kind of the point of the documentary, right? Was this, it's called Tabloid. It's about... That sort of journalism that didn't really exist a whole lot before that, as far as I understand. Oh no, I mean there have been tabloids in Yellow Journal for a long time. I think you're, but but it, but it's the explosion of that, right? Like where you yeah. know now it's just as soon as somebody becomes popular, it's let's find dirt, dig it up, and and you know spread it out there. Whereas well, like that's that happens now when you know whenever there's I, a news story, there's going to be dirt on that person. Well, sure, but I I think it's more about the tension, right? So one of the tabloid paper she sells her story to and they're basically printing everything she says verbatim they're giving completely her side of the story um which of course is is filtered through her own subjective lenses and designed to make her look good and then the other side of that is somebody wants to make her look as awful as possible you have the absolute flip side of that Let's that one guy the one insane. that they interviewed was such a creep that whatever, oh, he was i know he's the, like the, laughing nonchalantly yeah. oh, and he's man, like callous and doesn't care i know you hear that he's just just joking. He fleeces some guy, gets a bunch of information from some guy that could have made a bunch of money with what information he had, but he just dupes him and even sends him to Mexico so that other tabloid papers can't get to him and get his information. I know he was a real scuzzbag. Um, the whole so, thing is slimy, right? So and it that, doesn't help you get to the truth of who the person is or what's happening. Because despite her sex work, I she, I mean, I don't know, is she doing anything morally wrong? I don't think so. It was consensual and. She was just making a bunch of money doing sex stuff for dudes and the classified ads or whatever. But it shapes her perception and it crushes her narrative of being some like Christian princess trying to save this guy from the creepy Mormons. So then they don't extradite her. She's like kind of living in America. She gets arrested for stalking this guy again, right? A few in years the later. In 84. Yeah. yeah so. And then you think the story's over. And then there's this this bit at the last half hour about her you know, living at home with her parents, getting attacked by a dog, and then cloning her pit bull. Like it was just like, what? What does this have to do with any of these other stories? But I guess that happened in her life. That was the part where I was like, is this this is not real, right? No, I, I don't. It doesn't have anything to do with the main narrative, but I think it was so crazy that it had to be included. You're like, I. Because she's, like, she's like the first person to clone a pet or something like that, right? Yeah, she Wasn't... spent a bunch of money. She had a pit of her dog's tissue shipped to South Korea where a guy cloned her dog. Um, 
Yeah, she spent loads of money on that. Yeah, it was just nutso. I mean, and then she had like seven of her same dog that was cloned, and there was five. The bit- there were five. Oh, five. Yeah. Okay. Well, there was the bit where she's like her her the dog that was attacked, and she was like, oh, she said she almost died from the dog attack too, which was also kind of wild. But that like the the dog that died would like open the door for her and get things out of the fridge, and then these these cloned puppies would do that too without her training them. I don't know. That's that's the part where it started to seem like this woman is just making all of this up. But I mean, there's well, evidence of it. I guess part of it's true. So, well, right, but it, it's tough to draw the draw the line because she, she's not making everything she says isn't a complete lie. Um, I don't think, but there's some exaggerations, and she adds always an element of somebody's out to get her. You know, the dog attacked her because somebody deliberately messed with the dog's allergy medication. Like oh yeah, that's right. The prednisone they didn't give the right dosage, so then the somebody dog went crazy. did it. And they did it on purpose. It wasn't yeah. an accident. It wasn't yeah. anything else. Nothing else happened. Is that somebody gave him the wrong allergy medication, and that's why he attacked her. I'm like, okay. And the chuck was dog getting everything for her, getting her cans of pop. I'm like, okay, maybe possible. I'm skeptical because I think you should well you should be skeptical about most things, but certainly when you hear this one talk about everything, it's like okay. Um, so that, yeah, that's it, though. That's the end of the story. Like, and and that's the end of the documentary. I I, I guess I kept thinking the whole time, like, wh- why did you pick this movie? Why this? Well, what's the what's the reason? Uh, it's entertaining, and yet there's a billion things going on. Um, there's a billion things to talk about. There's a billion ways to look at it. It's a movie that I find endlessly entertaining. It's funny. I mean, I laugh repeatedly throughout the movie. There's so many clever edits, like the guy that keeps saying "spread eagle." So. Aaron Morse would have the words that people would say at various times, like come across the screen. So the guy would say spread Eagle and he would just say spread Eagle right across the front of the screen. And it would just make me laugh. He had fantastic little uh, interstitials when somebody was talking to kind of describe a to- trope or a narrative function. You'd see like a little clip from like religious materials talking about Mormonism and tropes for when you know joyce is maybe playing a victim so you saw a clip from some old movie or tv show and as we first go into the into the documentary we get to see the outside of an old tv and it zooms in to to joyce in the frame i mean we're getting layers of media on top as we try to get to the bottom of this narrative it's super well edited um and and it's it's entertaining and and i said there's we haven't gotten into the Mormonism. We haven't gotten into Joyce's weird view of Christianity. Um, but at no point do you know, is there an official version? Is there a version of, of these events that we know is true? I don't think so. And that's super compelling to me. I mean, I think that's interesting and makes me think and jacks my understanding. And there's no other documentaries like Errol Morris documentaries that I've seen. Was it him? He's the one actually doing the interview, right? Because you do hear his voice. He steers questions a certain way, and and he's in the in he's voice in the documentary, right? Oh yeah, he's the one you hear him asking questions. He shows most documentaries will just show you the response and act I, like I know. But I was wondering, is that do you like that style where you hear the documentarian actually ask the question? It's I, I, there's that's pretty rare for that. Uh, well, so I would say, yes, I like that he's showing you kind of how he's steering the conversation. But what do you think about it, Eric? I mean, I'm a big uh, Aaron Morris fan, so probably anything you say that he's doing, I like. So what about you? I I, 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 it, I think it takes a little of the credibility away from it because you could tell that mean? you could tell he's steering the the story in a way he wants. He, he's trying to get 
the soundbite. Like he knows the soundbite he wants to get. He knows that he already knows the story. She's told it to him already, right? He's just recording it now. And and it's like he wants to get her to say the crazy because she said a lot of crazy things. He's tra- he was trying to get her to do it and steer it in a certain way. So hearing his voice, I think maybe took a little bit away from it. I think the cutaways to like the cartoons and the videos that was the part that kind of disconnected it for me. Um, I didn't I didn't care for that as much. Okay, so. Uh, I'm going to go back. So when you see another documentary, do you think they don't ask those questions, but they just hide well, it from you? So they obviously they do. It's just hearing his voice. You know, it, there was a couple of times where he had, he like clarified, like, where, what do you mean? Or what is it that's happening here? And and at that point, I was like, OK, I mean, yes, I, the other documentaries do that. Um, you know, if you look at like the last dance, the Jordan documentary, like there were clearly times you didn't hear their voices, the documentarians, but they're trying to get Jordan to say something. Um, I just think it, it, it sounds more like their story than his story. When you just hear the, the subject's voices and not the documentary. Oh, see, see, and I think that's more honest. I think hearing the voice makes it more honest. I don't, I think it makes it more credible. Uh, the, we're just, cause this didn't feel like her story. It this wasn't supposed to be her story. He's not well, telling her story. Well, I guess story. that's the point. I mean, but she thought it was. You know, she thought she was well, telling her she's story. A, well, yeah, she only ever wants one version that's very one-sided and very self-aggrandizing and also making her the victim. And she clearly resents anything that contradicts her. But I love hearing the voice for a lot of reasons. At one point, he asks her straight up what her IQ is, and she says 168. And you hear him ask, and you're like, that's the question. He, he didn't. He's not like coercing her to say something. He's not pressuring. He's like, what is your IQ? She and she gives it very willingly. And then he, another time you hear him ask, Hey, were men attracted to you? Um, and she says, Oh, I'm too modest. And I can't say it. You hear both questions and neither one's unfair. He's not really goading her. He's just asking her straightforward. And she's willing to answer the question about her IQ when she's not willing to answer the question about men. Yeah, but then it, men it did. cuts to the pilot guy talking about how hot she was and how attracted to I her know. he was. I know, so, he's I mean, contradicting her, and he's providing evidence of another viewpoint. Um, I love the contradictions and the back and forth, the the ex-Mormon being able to provide some context for like, okay. It did feel this, more like a cross-examination than, well, and that's a great than her telling her story. Observation. Because... Um, Aaron Morris directed this movie, um, The Thin Blue Line, and like I think in, around uh, yeah 1988, I want to say. That's the McNamara um, thing, right? The, isn't no, McNamara is the Fog of War. That's 2005. Oh, Fog of War. That's right. Um, this one is one where he investigates a you know somebody who's convicted of murder in Texas, and he basically uses all these techniques to deconstruct the official version of what happened from the, like you know the state of Texas, and he completely obliterates it because he finds all kinds of holes and nonsense and lots of reasonable doubt and ends up getting a man, you know, free from prison because of what he did. So I, I think that's an astute observation. And maybe you don't like that. Maybe you prefer the documentary where we say, Hey, this is the truth. This is the version of our truth. And we think it's correct. And here's our support. And here's us setting up some straw men from the other side and knocking them down very easily. And yay to our view. I mean, maybe that that's fine. If that's a, I, I'm very much prefer the, we're not going to make this easy. We're going to see people contradicting each other, uh, you know, each other, and you're going to get different versions, um, and you're not going to know exactly what the truth is. This is not Joyce's movie. It's not the sleazy tabloid guys movie. There's ten other things intersecting, and how you figure out the truth. Yeah, but it's her life. 
I mean, it, without her and her what she did, there's no documentary. Right, but are you obligated to tell just her version then? Is that what that means? Um, no, I guess not. See, I mean, that's what's interesting. I mean, she's she's clearly her actions are the subject of the documentary, but I, I, I yeah, I don't think he's obligated to say, hey, this is I got to give you just Joyce's version perfectly. I think the the deconstructing and looking at it is what's so appealing to me about not just this movie, but all of Aaron Morris's movies. And this is not one where, um, yeah, you don't just think, oh, this is, I mean, it would be way worse documentary if it was just like, oh, poor Joyce was, was maligned. Everything she said. No, great. you could have other people contradict her. It's just when you hear him like push and, and try to question it, it just felt like, you know, he, he's, he's steering the narrative rather than the documentary oh, see, well, or the subject I mean, rather is. than subjects. He would admit that he's steering it, um, I think. And uh, other other documentary filmmakers would probably pretend like they were being objective. And I find that way more honest. Um, and he's not steering it to convince you of either side. He's steering it to say, yeah, it's it's tough to figure it out. You're going no, to there was a the lot. Media. One of the guys said in in the thing, he's like, there, there's her truth and their truth, and it's probably somewhere in between or something like that. I'm paraphrasing. Sure, it. that was sad. But right. like yeah, that's, said I mean, that's what he's trying to say, yeah. But, but it's also how you filter the truth through layers of crap of people with various motivations to, you know, one one tablet had the motivation to, to tell Joyce's version of the story. They wanted to just be a mouthpiece for her. That was how they were going to make money. The other one, uh, you know, was like, we're going to tear her down. And and both, neither one lends itself to the truth. Uh, you know, media doesn't help with truth. It's filtered through several metric tons of bullshit. Um, this is all media. And meanwhile, there's all sorts of stuff about how religion just kind of is a very interesting phenomenon we, we, in the human yeah. experience. This is a good um, good point to jump into the discussion on the religion, which also stuff. interests me about the movie. Anyway, um, so I'm not I'm not a religious person, um, never have been, but there was stuff in this about the Mormon Church, which I know very little. I I will free, freely admit I'm not. Um, up on the Church of Latter-day Saints or however it is that, that they define themselves. But the stuff about the magic underwear, I was just, I couldn't believe that that was true. And then they interviewed the guy who was, he was like a, a reverend or something. He was pretty high up there. Uh, I didn't care for that guy either. I thought he took away a little bit because he was clearly like he left the church and I mean, he was he was kind of relaying what they do, but you could tell he was like, you know, not a fan of, of the Mormon church. Um, okay. But then there was so the you bit, somebody who's objective about how would you be objective? I don't know, about like a religious church? scholar. I don't know. You didn't need a guy that was doing involved in it, just someone to explain to what, you know what the church does. Just because you're clearly talking to people who aren't Mormons, like this is actually true. This isn't like somebody taking pot shots. This isn't Arrow Morris, you know, trying to the hating them. I mean, this is actually their own beliefs. This is actually what they do. Yeah, um, I just think it, it, he, he didn't, he didn't, that guy didn't come off as credible, I thought. He oh. came off as somebody who was just angry at the Mormon church. And So you, know, you, you didn't believe him when he said this is what they actually do? No, well, I, it sounds so crazy. The, the, if you die, you get to go to a planet and run the planet where it's like Thor, the Mormons. The, is that really what they believe? You get your own planet yeah. when you die? Yeah, yeah well, uh, look, I... <laughs> I'm not a religious scholar either. I was once a religious man. I am not anymore. So I guess if you're hoping Eric and I were both religious chaps, uh, sorry to disappoint. Um, uh, you know, I took an American religions class. I've seen 
the play or the musical, the Book of Mormon, and I have read a very casual amount of stuff about so it. So your knowledge but, is from the South Park guys, is what. <laughs> well, I gave you more than just that data <laughs> just point. Be- I actually, just but um, actually, I read a book about. Well, that's more than me because I haven't even. I don't. I haven't even seen the there book. There is apparently Marvel, nine levels of heaven, and you know, there's different degrees you get to go to depending on how you live your life. And yes, they believe Jesus is currently on a planet called Kolop. Um, up until 1978, they did believe, you know, black people were more the mark of Cain. And at some point, the elders of the church, who they believe speak directly right. to God. The entire church stopped believing that after 1978. Is that what you're telling me? I'm telling you, the elder looked at the PR <laughs> problems and was like, all right, this isn't tenable for our church long term. 78. You're talking 78, right? So, so we I... have to stop believing this. This is officially not true anymore because they believe the, the very top person in the church does have a direct relationship with God, like talks to him. Um, believe it or don't, I, you know, so Mitt Romney was in the church before they decided this, just checking. The I guess out. I, yeah. So I don't know exactly how old Mitt Romney is, but probably, yeah. Um, I guess he was born before 78. Um, so yeah, anyway, they believe this stuff. And if you live your life right to the absolute perfect precepts someday, you and your wife, because of course you have to be straight. Um, there's, there's no, uh, gay couples in the church of Latter-day Saints. You and your wife will get to become you know, well, can't you have more than planet. one wife in their church? Uh, mm, yeah, I mean, I, that's we're we're in weird territory. I think I think some Mormons some Mormons disagree. I don't know that all of them agree with that precept. I think there's some disagreement amongst Mormons themselves about whether polygamy is or is not okay. So you got to just be in a specific group of the Mormons, then then you can I, do I, it. I, I mean, guess. Anyway, I'm, you know, we're we're stepping on really murky ground here, but. Um, anyway, I, 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 whether the Troy's motivations were pure or whatever, and I, we got scary. some listeners in Utah, all our listeners in Utah. Sorry for getting well, all this. If we part. said something wrong, I, I'm prepared <laughs> to learn from it. I'm pretty, yeah. I'm an idiot. Tweet I'm at, sorry. Uh, ben, tweet at Ben and, you know, explain how angry you are at his, uh, or tweet at Eric <laughs> because he didn't believe in the magic underwear and he thought Troy was just I, out to get I'm wearing magic underwear right now. All right. That's how much well, I believe in Are they in Vikings that. underwear? Um, uh, yeah, yeah, that'd be yeah. cursed underwear. Kirk I think, Cousins actually, yeah. game worn underwear. That's what I have on right now. Okay. Um, but anyway, he's telling you all the stuff about how, how they would be entrenched, how guilty they would feel about any sexual feelings, about how he had to confess about masturbating and everybody did the M1, M2. That, I mean, you know, it's not the whole documentary isn't about Mormonism. It's just to say, hey, look, Joyce might have some points about how, you know, trapped this guy was ideologically. I mean, his entire social structure is in the church. Uh, and the idea of like being excommunicated and missing out and not being able to interact with anybody you love or care about is quite an incentive to stay in the church. And so, yeah, if you're offered a an out in which you could say, oh, the the sex wasn't consensual. It was uh, I didn't want to do it. She made me do it. It wasn't it wasn't my fault. She chained me. Um, totally not my fault. I should still get to be in the church. You might take that because the prospect of just joining some woman you can't know that well and just going off and leaving the church would be a really awful lot to ask of somebody. I mean, this is what a lot of people in various communities and religious do. Um, you know, you just, just can't get out um, without saying goodbye to everybody you care about. Uh, you know, when you're born and raised and everybody around you is in the same religion, it's, you know, you reinforce the behaviors. And that's just how it works. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. You use the word credibility a lot. That's interesting that a lot in this documentary isn't credible. And it's it, it's interesting because the, the fact that it's getting these different perspectives and toys with what is the truth 
that makes it more credible to me. Uh, I'm way more suspicious of somebody like, this is the version. This is true. This is what's happening. The idea that everything's, mm, we don't know. Uh, it's, it's plausible. Joyce's version of this is, is plausible, even, even though she's kooky and got some weird uh, stuff going on in her own head. Like she seemed to have some version of Christianity where, hey, if she's doing everything but actual intercourse, you know, she's not having premarital sex. She's saving herself. So despite the fact that she had all sorts of kinky stuff on the side for a bunch of money, if she never had sex with anybody but Kirk and would well, look here, let me put this question to you, Eric. Let's assume that. Sorry, you Joyce, lost me at kinky stuff. Sorry. <laughs> no, oh, whoa. Okay. okay. Sorry. I didn't mean to distract I tuned, you. I uh, tuned it out. Uh, no, sorry. <laughs> what was your question? So let's say Joyce only ever had actual intercourse with this Kirk guy. What would that make you think about her story? How would that change your perception of, of Joyce? While they were in the cabin? I or? mean, for her entire life, she did a bunch of other stuff, but she never actually had intercourse with anybody else but Kirk. How would that change your perception of Because that's of what Joyce? she claims, right? She did claim. Basically, yeah. She had to celibate after this. Before and, and after that. She basically yeah. had sex seven times in her life with Kirk in this cabin because she loves him and. She just did mouth stuff beforehand. Correct. Yes, mouth stuff. (laughs) This is like a version of the loophole stuff, which, you know, I have no idea if anybody's actually done that, but there's certainly her speculation. I find that hard to believe that you would be a literal sex worker before you meet this guy. It doesn't matter that's hard to believe, just accept for the sake of argument that it's true that she does. So you're asking me to just accept accept it? I know. I'm wanting to know how this would change your perception, right? I I, I don't want you to... Like, I'm not trying to convince you that that is, in fact, true. I'm interested in how, if it were true, that would change your perception of Joyce. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess then if that's true, then really the only crazy part of the story is did, did this guy come with her or not? Did, he, did she kidnap him or not? And I guess I believe that she didn't kidnap him, if that's true. Oh, that's, that's interesting. I just mean it makes her a little bit more of a tragic figure. It makes me um, have a little bit more empathy for her. Um, you know, and I don't really care that she was a sex worker because whatever she was. I mean, I gotta be honest. Like, I I didn't find this whole story all that interesting. Okay. Um, I mean, the the turns were kind of like, whoa, I, I didn't expect that. Whoa, that's kind of wild. But in the end of the day, it's just about a woman whose fiance went to England and kidnapped him. Maybe did or didn't became a big star. Sure? And then, Are you sure he's her fiance? Well, whatever. This guy she knew. I mean, it ah. doesn't really matter. He disappears and, and she kidnaps him or doesn't and gets arrested, becomes a big news story. She becomes famous. And then that's kind of the end of it. Other than the dog thing, like that's it. I, I don't know. I guess I, I didn't find it all that interesting to be perfectly honest with you. I'm sorry. I know you like this movie a lot and you like, Oh no, that's uh, fine. You, documentaries. You, I, I like movies that make me think you like movies that distract you. Fair enough. <laughs> I like movies that make me think. This this just uh, didn't make me think all that much. I mean, well, then maybe you weren't paying attention. I, I mean, I love the. I mean, there's all those things about how people are perceiving reality through media tropes going on that that I think is super interesting too. That's why those little cutaways. That's what's happening. It's both visualizing what the person's saying and also kind of showing you where the sort of foundational beliefs come from as you're just bombarded with media tropes your entire life from a bunch of movies. Um, then you just but I don't. Kind of, I mean, I don't find the documentary genre like as compelling as you do. It's just not something. Well, I don't mostly 
Honestly, I don't. I, I, you're not going to hear me ever on this podcast pick a different documentary other than an Earl, Earl Morris one. Because we only have one because they do make me think. Precisely because he does all this stuff that you don't see in other documentaries. You hear him asking the questions. You see that you know he's got a big role to play in shaping the narrative um, that he's involved. He's not a passive observer of what's happening. He's not, quote unquote, documenting what happened. That's super interesting to me. Um, that's why these movies resonate with me on a yeah more a of a storyteller deeper. than that than yeah than documentary. Well, he's describing, and this is one. I mean, he's got much weirder documentaries. This is again, I, I think, his funniest and most accessible that I've seen. But I mean, he's got some that I think you would just really hate, um, Eric. Like in Vernon, Florida, where it's he's literally just like interviewing people in this small Florida community, and they, I mean, it's just a a, a turkey hunter. Uh, describing how he hunts turkeys and the process and why he likes it and, and you would hate it. Um, but he manages to find, to me, super compelling characters, uh, people just out in reality and get them to just talk in a way that you don't see in other documentaries. So one thing I found interesting, so this movie comes out in 2010, right? Yeah, September 2010, it premiered at the Telluride Film Festival. Um, she sues him she sues Errol Morris in 2011, claiming that we, the defamation, slander, what you know, whatever, all of the, all the, uh, through through all those uh, claims against him that she was misrepresented, she was lied to, that the documentary was supposed to be uh, just a, a story focusing story solely on that the case, the legal case that she had in England, and it wasn't. And so, so she claims that this was a complete defamation from the the perspective of the documentary. Did you know that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, so when this came out, uh, this documentary came out. I mean, a lot of podcasts talked about it. I mean, it was uh, uh, you know, way back in you know 2010, 2011. Um, and I don't remember which podcast it was, but one of them. She was apparently quite mad about anybody that talked about it and left a message on this podcast, you know, voicemail. Oh, is she going to call us? Uh, well, no, I, we haven't is gotten she... there. There's a, there's a really sad addendum to everything that you, you're talking right in the immediate aftermath. I mean, she lost that lawsuit. She definitely signed a waiver. Um, and, I, you know, she, and I, she definitely talked a lot and seemed happy to talk. Um, so to the extent that, I don't know, she had a good point. I'm not sure. I mean, I, I, I'm very skeptical of things Joyce says, especially in her, um, towards the end. Um, but yes, if she were to call us, that would be crazy, but I don't think she's likely on Twitter. I'm just have looking at, have you looked at her Twitter profile? No, Look I'm just up. looking at it now. Look at it now. It's Thank not, you to everyone throughout the world for your love and support. Scroll down. My just name. keep scrolling. You're going to see like 30 posts of Robin Williams dressed as Mrs. Doubtfire saying the same quote. It's over and over and over again. August 5th, August 17th, August 20th. Yeah, it's nonstop. It's it's some serious all all work and no play makes Jack a doll boy shit from like The Shining. The quote is, no matter what people tell you, words and ideas can change the world. Robin Williams quote and a picture of him from Mrs. Doubtfire over like hundreds of times. But what the fuck? Right. So she can say she was taken advantage of. I, fine. I mean, when you're in a documentary, you don't get to control the narrative if you sign a waiver. Uh, so negotiate money or don't sign the waiver. I, I don't know. I, I can't view her too much as a victim. I mean, she's not going to like any coverage. I don't think that makes her 
look slightly untruthful, slightly bad. I, I, don't, I don't think she seems like that person that can see herself as, you know, anything but a victim. Um, but the sad addendum, so the, her most recent Twitter post was 2019, maybe 2020, I think 2019. Um, so there's a sad addendum with her dogs and her. So I think this is 2020. Um, a 91-year-old Holocaust survivor was the victim of a hit and run. And uh, I think they, there was some traffic cam footage and Joyce McKinney was the one driving that truck. So she was indicted in like uh, LA County somewhere. Um, at the time she was homeless, living with three of those five clones in cages in a truck. Um, I mean, I think since then they gave up those dogs who were quite old time by dog standards up to adoption. So I, I mean, presumably two of the other five had passed away. Um, so, you know, she was not well mentally. Um, she's very charismatic and very smart. And that comes across in the documentary. But, uh, you know, at least in 2010 afterwards, it's tough to look at her as a person who is not facing mental challenges. Um, but anyway, um, so is she in jail now or I believe so. Yes. Uh, that was the last update I could get is that she was arrested in 2020 and her dogs were put up for adoption somewhere though. I mean, this is some very crude Google searching, but yes, her, her Twitter feed is, is so bizarre. Everything about it is bizarre. I mean, a quote from Robin Williams once, whatever Robin Williams dresses, Mrs. Doubtfire very weird but the fact that you're like posting it every day for several days I, I i got tired of scrolling down i didn't get to the bottom of the robin williams Ms. Delvar thing like i scrolled down through like 2017 and was like oh um i, I don't know where the end of this is but I, i'm kind of uncomfortable and bored yeah so february 2020 uh she was ruled to be not competent to stand trial and yep. they had scheduled her hearing for august but i guess covid probably delayed all that so she was in a mental hospital, I think, for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Ordered a psychiatric so evaluation. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is sad. It's, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, a bummer. Um, and it's interesting because I think you, you see Joyce's side of this probably more than I do, too. I just, I mean, I know you're, you found it boring and not an actually interesting story, but you seem to kind of think you gave her more credibility than, than, than I would. I mean, I kind of think everything's a little suspect on her part. Um, so that's interesting. But I mean, I, I, at this point, I think it's very clear. I love this movie, and you are uh, nonplussed at best about it. But um, so, uh, give me give me your rating here, since we're on a on a dour note. <laughs> yeah, so I, I gave it I gave it one and a half stars. Oh my god, um, that is brutal. Yeah, I fu- I mean, I found the story interesting. There were lots of p- twists and turns. I just think ultimately it's like, who cares? I don't know. That was kind of what I was left with is like, why, why is this, why are we hearing about this? Cause there's gotta be, there's a million stories of somebody doing something crazy and there's, you know, news coverage and some of it's true. Some of it's not the center. I mean, Kanye West, you could, it, his life story is, you know, filled with the, this stuff. I, you know, I don't know. It, it just didn't seem all that 
original or groundbreaking. I mean, the dog cloning dog stuff was just thrown in there at the end. Like, what? Okay. Uh, all right. Oh, that's weird. Um, so yeah, I guess just ultimately it didn't, didn't, I didn't care too much about the story. So Fair enough. there you go. Four and a half stars. I mean, as far as why this story, it's it, you, you pointed out to your chagrin that there are all these choices that are different from documentaries, which to me is a, a testament to how interesting it is. Um, uh, you know, why this story as opposed to another one, you know, I don't know. You, you can't get everybody. You can't get all the players for a reason. This tickled Errol Morris's fan, you know, fancy, uh, you know, the intersection of, uh, you know, crazy, you, you, know, you get all the crazy accoutrements of, uh, religion and, and sex and bondage and media coverage and sleaze bags. Um, I, you know, this, this piqued his interest. I, I haven't seen a movie quite like it. Um, it's, I think, I think it's more better made than, I guess, if you've seen other versions of this movie, I would argue this is a better version of that movie. I haven't seen too many, which just try to acknowledge on the front end, this, you know, figuring this out is very, very difficult. Well, I read, impossible. I, I read a review that kind of compared it to Rashomon, the Kurosawa movie, where you see like right. the th- there's like three different perspectives of the same event and how that can be different. There was the last duel, which just recently came out, um, uh, the Matt yeah, Damon three. movie. Yeah, yep. there was three different stories. They're all different. One or one one was the truth. The woman's perspective was in the movie. It was like this is what really happened, and then it's kind of the two guys. Adam Driver was the other guy. Um, so there, I mean, there's different versions of that where there's right, but a fictional narrative. And I don't know if the last tool, something that actually happened, this is a, an event that people, uh, you know, plenty of people would have been alive to have been around when that was a news story, um, to have watched. Was it and, a big, like, I guess it must've been a really big deal that, you know, she became so, somewhat famous. Um, it was definitely a big deal in the UK. I have no idea if it was as big of a deal in the US. And obviously I wasn't. I, I asked my mom who's in her seventies, if she remembered the story and she said, I don't, I don't remember that at all. She's like, what are you talking about? I sounded crazy to her <laughs> explaining the story. She's like, what more Mormons? What? Yeah. So she didn't remember that's the story. That's fine. If your mom was British, I bet she would have remembered it, but um, she was not, but you know, is it the most crazy? I mean, I, the point of the documentary isn't to be informative. It's not really to like, hey, we want to make you aware of this crazy thing that happened. How, how nuts is that? It's how do you even perceive what's going on here? Um, how are you filtering, you know, truth through the media? Um, so you don't think some- this this was had anything to do with like tabloid news? You, you thought that was like really not a, a theme? No, that's absolutely part of it. Absolutely. No, I definitely think tabloid news is a big part of it. Yes, the, absolutely. The sort of damnation of tab because tabloid news is like some of the worst like things that humans have created. I think. I mean, it is just it's trash. But but the problem is it. there's a market for it. Like oh, all things, you go capitalism. to the supermarket. Look at you stand in line at the grocery store. There's so it's be an indictment of tabloid people. magazines. This gets back to like you know, Ace in the Hole. I mean, if you're you don't like it, people people read it. It appeals to people's basic instincts. They either want to adore Joyce or Say she's why the Kardashians are popular because of tabloid news, right? That's all they are. They're literally the manifestation of tab of tabloids or or Kanye West. Uh, sure. Well, he's he's got great songs. That's the I mean, he at least has some talent and and a skill that brought him to fame. So Sex, sex work is a skill, my friend. Well, that's not why she was famous, though. I guess the story of it, but she wasn't like the great 
a great sex worker <laughs> as far as I, I can tell. Uh, maybe she was really great at it. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. But I, I, I don't know. I, I laughed repeatedly throughout Taboo and this is the second time I've seen it. I, it, it. Did you not laugh even once when you watched it? Uh, just the marshmallow in the parking meter. That, that one got me. Joyce had some great lines. She had some great lines. She's very smart and clever. I mean, she's charismatic. Um, The Southern, uh, she's got that like real Southern. Was she from like St. Louis or something? North Carolina. Okay. She had the real Southern, Southern affect, which was pretty hilarious. Oh yeah. She, she added that it, it, um, yeah. I mean, I think that was something she used when she was a sex worker that helped her make a lot of money and was part of her appeal. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I wasn't bored watching it. I mean, that, that's a funny line. I mean, when the guy just says spread eagle and then the word spread eagle just got, I mean, he just emphasizing spread eagle. And the guy said it like four times. That was legitimately funny to me. I don't know why that guy was so fixated on the word spread eagle, uh, but it was, it was very funny that he was. Um, but yeah, I mean, I didn't, I mean, I, I, there's some other Aaron Morris movies I would put ahead of this, but. I like it. It's a great example of why I like yeah, it. I, we mentioned this in the last episode, but your favorite movie of all time is one of his documentaries, right? Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a movie called the uh, yeah gates of heaven. It's about pet cemeteries, but it's also not really about pet cemeteries. Uh, it's about the human condition and there's all sorts of colorful characters and people contradicting each other. And I'm like, yeah, this, this is, this is what people are. This big contradictory, absurd kind of sweet, pathetic mess uh i mean but yeah so it's, it's not the movie it, uh, someday maybe i want to talk about it on the podcast just so you can uh, be mean about it and then i can try to convince people that you're wrong and they should watch it but um i mean there's just like the middle of that documentary is just an old woman who's talking like five minutes by herself and she contradicts everything she says it's wonderful uh it's just just real slice of life this is people but anyway that's why i picked it it didn't convince Eric to become an Aaron Morris fan, and, and Eric doesn't like documentaries. And if he does, I like I, I love a good music documentary. Oh, okay, uh, I love a sports documentary. I just you know the murder murder docs or making the murder. This actually reminded me a little bit of that. That sort of like wait, what? This is the next like, you know, just like you couldn't make up the next twist. The making the murder was kind of that way too. No, if you, uh, yeah, if, if, if Tablet was written as a fictional movie, you'd be like, wait, why did they add the dog cloning stuff? That doesn't make any sense. That's bizarre. Um, that was poor writing. Like, well, that's what actually happened. Um, not interesting. See, I, the documentaries that just inform you about stuff, uh, it's fine. This is information I could get in a, you know, five-minute article. Well, that's why, you know, music docs, you get to hear the artists talk about, like the Beatles documentary is the – I mean, the one that just came out about them recording their the Let It Be album, but then um, the, the long one that they put out, uh, the anthology where they talk about their whole career. Like, I love that kind of stuff. Um, I just these kind of your 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 bag of docs is just not really my bag. So that's that's not most people's. I mean, I, I haven't seen The Last Dance. I don't really care. Oh, um, phenomenal. I'm not so enamored with whatever the '98 Bulls or whatever the year is. I, you know. I don't, it's, I don't care. Yeah, they, they had some personality conflicts, I bet. I bet uh, some people got upset with each other at times. I bet that happened. I don't know. You tell me. Um, yeah, I mean, you just want to hear uh, about a woman dressed up like a nun and sneak into the country, I guess. that That's more. That's easy. way weirder than Michael Jordan being kind of a dick um, and pissing people off. Um, but fair enough. 
And a lot of people, most people would, would prefer the last dance. They would prefer the 10 hour, where however many hours, 10 hours, six episodes, however many the hours. Tiger, did you not watch the Tiger Woods doc? That was incredible. It's amazing. No. Now he's, now he's going to play, play at the Masters. If you're listening to this, it's probably after the Masters. So <laughs> maybe he played, maybe he didn't, but. It's incredible. I love a good documentary. I just didn't really care. Oh, see, that doesn't. I don't. Why do I want to watch a documentary about Tiger Woods? Why do I care? Crazy. You're nuts. Why do I care? His dad was really mean and made him work really hard. I'm sure. Of course. Your dad was a lunatic. Okay. Understood. Gotcha. I mean, that has intrigue. It has sex workers and it has, um, you know, Twists and then a car accident at the end. Like it's got all the same stuff. Does it stuff deconstruct stuff. sports along the way? Does it deconstruct the game of golf and the absurdity of media coverage of golf? And absolutely, it talks about race. It talks about um, <laughs> it didn't how the sport about- has changed. I mean, I mean, it talks about important themes to our culture. If that's what your point is, and it does, it does. It, it, Tiger Woods has a perspective. There's other people that have have a different perspective on what happened and what goes down. The interesting, they don't interview his wife. But I mean, we're getting on. This is a whole another tangent. No, that's fine. I, but I, I, this is interesting to me because it just gets to at least two different philosophies of document, uh, you know, documentaries. Because, um, yeah, I mean, I, it, talking about culturally relevant issues is one thing. Um, just uh, deconstruction is a different thing, where you just break it down and you just get to the point where you're like, blah, and you can't really form it. I mean, that's where my brain is. And anyway, someday I pick that Tiger Woods golf documentary, and I'll probably think, eh, it's fine. I, I guess. I love what will happen. Okay. Well. All right. So this was a documentary. Uh, five degrees of separation to get to Field of Dreams. A lot trickier than it normally would be. Um, we talked about this a little bit before the podcast. You said you cheated, Eric. I want to know how you cheated. Yeah, so I, I completely cheated. So looking at it, there were like, if you go to IMDb for this movie, there's like five people listed as like actual cast members of the movie. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit tricky to find those. And they're not actors, right? So they're, they're just uh, subjects of the documentary. Um, so I didn't pick any of those people because they're not, again, not actors. They're not in other movies. But I did pick somebody who was mentioned in the documentary, and I think there was a picture of him, uh, which is John Travolta. So at one point when she becomes famous, they talk about her going, I think she went to the premiere of Saturday Night Fever, if I remember right. right. And I think there's a picture of her at the premiere with John Travolta. I may have misremembered that. But um, And there was at least a picture of her with some of the Bee Gees, um, but so I picked John Travolta. You can you can veto it if you think it's bullshit. You can kick me off the podcast. But so I picked John Travolta to start because he's technically referenced and I think photographed in this documentary. I don't know. Maybe maybe you're you're shaking your head. I can't tell. Um, no, I go for it. I, it's fine. You, I mean, I've got two, so you can use one of mine. Um, go ahead. So I picked John Travolta. He's like I said, he's in a movie called Swordfish, which I love. From the late '90s, early to early 2000s, um, and uh, it's it's a wild ass movie. But uh, in that movie, he stars uh, also Don Cheadle, all time great actor as far as I'm concerned. He's in a movie called Ocean's Eleven. Casey Affleck is in Ocean's Eleven as well. He's in a movie called Gone Baby Gone, where I think Ben Affleck actually directed that movie. 
as well. But in that movie is an actress by the name of Amy Madigan. I think you picked her once. She yeah, plays she's... Kevin Costner's wife in Field of Dreams. Got it. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, I mean, this was fun. I, I like the challenge. So I didn't have to resort to just like, here's an image in the documentary. I mean, I those five credits, there's, there's enough to work with there for me. I'll give you the one that might, you know, these are all arbitrary rules. So I don't know if TV movies count, but I'll give you the TV movie version No, it first. doesn't count. You, you screwed up. Oh, it's fine. I'll give you that one. But then I have one that doesn't require a TV movie. So it doesn't matter. Um, so we got to avoid one of those talking heads is a guy named Peter Torrey, who used to be an actor in like the 60s before he got into being a tabloid journalist. And he's the one that says spread eagle several times Okay. Uh, to a comic degree. He was in a TV movie called Four, Four Soldiers. It's actually, I think, a foreign film. So that's the translated uh, title. I, I know nothing about it. I have no clue anything whatsoever. It's like a 58-minute movie for TV, you know, plus commercials. Um, so then you have Four Soldiers, and also in that movie is a guy named Bruce Boa. Um, now, Bruce Noah is not a name you're going to know, but if you've seen Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back, he plays a character named General Reekin. I'm going to try to pronounce it. I'm not sure. R-I-E-E-K-A-N. It's the first time I've ever heard that name, but he's a guy in Hoth who... <laughs> Han Solo goes up to him and says, hey, I, I got to get out of here. There's some bounty hunter. Lord Mandel changed my mind. They're, I've got to pay off Jabba the Hutt. And the guy that says, oh, you're, you're a great soldier, Commander Solo. We hate to lose you. The guy that says that is uh, is Bruce Boa. So he's in Empire Strikes Back. That uh, With Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford is also in Star Wars A New Hope with uh, James Earl Jones, who's in Field of Dreams. Now let me give you the one... Um, that is just straight up no TV movies. Um, so the ex-Mormon gay man who you think is not credible and just has an axe to grind against the church so you didn't believe what he said, um, he's in another document called The Glor- Glorious Things Are Sung of Zion. I have never heard of that before. I don't know what that is, but it came out in 2013. It's a documentary about something. But you know who else is in that documentary? Uh, a fellow named Ralph Nader. Uh, you know, uh, would be president. Yeah, presidential candidate, Green Party guy, right? Yep, famous for yep, uh, consumer. You know, seatbelt, right? Seatbelt, very very much focused on consumer safety. Ralph Nader has a bit part in the fictional film Fun with Dick and Jane. I've never seen it, but it's got Jim Carrey in it. Um, also has a woman named Tia Leone in it, uh, who's the Jane of the title. And she is in a movie called Wyatt Earp, starring one Kevin Costner, who is, of course, the star of Field of Dreams. Uh, so there you, you did go. it. You, wow, that took some work. Boy, round of applause to you. Um, so, yeah, it, it was there. I mean, I did. I didn't just I mean, I, you know, that's the that's the that's the bit we're committed to. You got to be able to connect it back to Field of Dreams. So it is possible. Um, you did it. You did it, Ben. So. All right. Excellent. So. Eric, do we have uh, something special cooked up for next week? Yeah, next week we got another guest, our, our second guest on the Pot of Dreams. Um, I find it kind of funny. I find it kind of sad. The dreams in which I'm dying. Are you a mad, mad, mad world? Is that... People run in circles. It's a very, very mad world. Yes. 
Yeah, so the, the our guest picked the film Donnie Darko. I think you're singing a song from that movie. I am. Uh, it's probably the most well-known song from that movie. You I know that most. song? It was well-known. It was in um, oh, what's the video game? It was in a trailer for uh, oh, what is it? An Xbox game? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, Donnie Darko. It's on HBO Max. If anybody wants to watch it in preparation for our next week's episode, so Donnie Darko. Uh, yeah, that's up next. Well, thank you. Thanks to go, uh, another shout out to Go Iowa Awesome. Appreciate all oh. the support. Yes. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Any love you can send us, like, subscribe, five stars. We love it. We love any even positive feedback. We had a very nice comment on the website, encouraging if, us to keep going. Thank if you. If Joyce McKinney's out there listening to the Pod yeah. of Dreams, or if anybody knows how to get in touch with Joyce McKinney, if she's doing okay, ever read, ever contact us. Let's get her on the pod. Maybe she can break down the Hawkeye season, you know, season preview. Um, you know. Tell us what's going on with her. All right, well, well that's it. Bye. Okay.